everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazar. And welcome to the biggest week that K State has had since when? <laughs> probably 2012. The football team. Uh, probably the last time there it would have been the last two weeks of that season. I think. Um, and if you want to just consider, I mean, Big 12, like title game, like when there's actually title games been 20 years. So. Yeah, it, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. But this is going to serve as the preview for the Big 12 championship between your K-State Wildcats and the TCU Horned Frogs. But this is going to be a little bit different from our normal scouting reports. Because we already did a scouting report on TCU earlier this year, and it really hasn't changed all that much. As in our normal scouting reports go over all the players, their scheming tendencies, things like that. If you want to go listen to that, I really recommend going back and listening to episode 115, at least up until the very end, right before the story is going into the game, if you want the more complete scouting report. Because what this episode is going to be is going to be a more deep evaluation specifically of the Big 12 championship game. So what exactly does that mean? Well, basically, we're going to be going over why we lost the first game. Because going back and listening to the recap episode, we pinned a lot of it on injury because, yes, that was a big part of it. But there was a lot of schematic things that we could have gone into as well. And we'll go over what TCU has done since then. What can we learn from the other games they've played since us? And then finally, how do we end up winning against this team alongside stories to watch and finally our score projections as well as MVPs. But let's just to top level, Connor, what happened the first time we played? Uh, Yeah, we lost. Fun fact. Uh, We (laughs) lost in Fort Worth 38 to 28. We were up 28 to 10 in that game. It was a very frustrating loss because we were coming off of the uh, we just beaten Oklahoma and then Iowa State. So we were ranked. That was a big matchup. It was on big Fox and then uh, just couldn't hold on. Adrian Martinez gets um, hurt in that game on the first series and does not return. So that was the Will Howard uh, coming out game. Uh, that was where we we were introduced to the Will Howard that is now adored. Uh, so that that that's kind of the big enduring story from that game beyond uh just kind of blowing it uh uh down the stretch but there there's a lot more that we can get into uh specifically yeah and we're going to start off with the why did we lose last time section we're going to start off on defense because that's that's where i think the majority of the concerns come into play and that's not to say that there weren't any problems on offense we'll just get into them later The defense, I feel, is the area that needed the most emphasis. And the first overarching theme that I personally noticed on defense was there was a lot of over-aggressive play. And this is something that we've talked about all year. And it bit us against Texas Tech. However, against Texas Tech, it didn't ended up not mattering as much because we got ahead so much earlier. But it even started biting us against KU last week where we started, we were playing this hyper-aggressive style of defense that we're known for, and it just wasn't working out in our favor. And that's why we're such, that's why we don't deal with counters well. 
And specifically, if you want to look at it from a pure schematic standpoint, in the first half and a little bit of the third quarter, we had our defensive end shoot inside and work the inside shoulder of the tackle. So that way that they could push in that line from the other side. And what it's meant to do is it's supposed to create a clear lane for that weak or strong side linebacker to fill in so they don't have a body on them. So kind of think of it as setting a screen up in basketball. You're using the defensive end as a screen defender so that way the linebacker can break three. That ended up not working because the linebackers just didn't sink in low enough and on other times they were left out to dry on outside runs that's the biggest weakness of that technique of biting that defensive end down is going to the outside and it doesn't even necessarily have to be designed outside run it's something that can be bounced to that side the good news is that we ended up adjusting to that a little bit in the fourth and their running game did noticeably take a little bit of a step back in the fourth quarter because we made that little adjustment but that's still something that I hope we don't start seeing again. I hope that we don't end up deploying that strategy again, given how much it bit us in the first time. But Connor, you can give the thoughts on that as well as the next point. Yeah, um, that, like you said, I think uh, that has been uh, enduring uh, throughout the season. Um, at times is that we can be exploited for our over-aggressiveness defensively. Uh, Texas Tech is one of the best examples of that, I think. Uh, at least one of the more obvious ones. We're kind of in that middle portion of the game, late second quarter, early third quarter. Uh, their offense just started to slow their pace down a little bit in terms of how they're running each individual play. Uh, like They just would wait a sec and uh, just run more delayed handoffs. And we would just run past them pretty much. Um, TCU, they also take advantage of our over-aggressive play, albeit in a slightly different way. But again, a lot of that can be rectified through patience defensively and more letting the play come to you as opposed to trying to meet the play in the backfield because if you miss on that, then that's becoming a six-yard game pretty much immediately. So, And they, they were anticipating that and they adjusted to it pretty well, although we were able to counter it, but it was a little bit late by the, by the time that we did. But moving on to the next point, uh, the screen game ate our lunch uh, in this game. For the most part this year, we have seen a lot of screens thrown against this defense, and it's been very hit and miss on if they work or not. And it honestly seems like a half-to-half thing at times. I mean, even the KU game, they had a couple successful screens in the first half, but uh, they tried a a couple more early in the second half, and we uh, made immediate adjustments for that, and they pretty much went away from it. Uh, So we're going to have to keep our eyes open for that, which, again, that's kind of leaving defensive backs on a difficult position at times. But that's just something that they have to get used to Uh, when we're running such an aggressive defense. They are going to be left alone. Uh, You know, this is something that we can come back from. Uh, And some of it is just going to be. Uh, running proper coverage against it, running proper alignment if they ever go bunch, uh, because there are times where uh, in the last few games that we've been in precarious alignments, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, but uh, kind of putting ourselves at a disadvantage. So we we do need to keep our eyes on the screen game because uh, especially to receivers and guys like Quentin Johnston, because we do not need the ball uh, in his hands. 
there was even a few that uh, he dropped that could have been successful potentially uh, in the TCU game, but we we're going to have to make adjustments for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the screen game, they call a specific brand of slip screen with their running back. Whenever that you were right, by the way, K-State is exactly 10 They <laughs> in the oh, CFP excellent. poll. But we had a conversation before. Well, now you know that K-State is ranked 10 in the CFP poll. But the TC- TCU has a big tendency on third and long. The primary play that they really want to call, if they are looking to get that yardage back, is a slip screen. So on third and long, it may be in our advantage to just step back a little bit, maybe not bring as much pressure as we're used to bringing. So that way we can keep eyes on the outside, make sure that we occupy the gaps and occupy the screen game just as well. And the you can take the next point as well because of how much I talked about the the over-aggressive play and the, the DN scheming. Yep. Uh, the Kendra Miller point, uh, one thing that we do know about him from our, our first encounter is that uh, we are not going to be able to tackle sloppy uh, against Kendra Miller, uh, which again, our worst games of the year have been our worst tackling games. Uh, we think about the Texas game where the defense really struggled with uh, open field tackling against Bijan Robinson. Granted that could happen to anybody, but uh, still that definitely puts you in a worse position. And Kendra Miller, uh, he's had a really, really fantastic season. I uh, hope, probably be first team all big 12 when it's all said and done he's got 16 touchdowns on the year um but he he has been really good and we're gonna have to focus on containing him and gang tackling either that or have a lot of faith in our defense to tackle better and i would simply rather put two two hats on him as opposed to chance it with one uh, at least when we can but country miller had a really good game uh against k-state uh, he had 153 yards and two touchdowns uh that was uh to date his second best rushing performance on the year uh, in terms of total yards it was his most carries on the season for what it's worth so he he did have uh um performances where his average was significantly better but uh yeah 29 carries against k-state was the most uh that uh he ran all year so we we're gonna have to prepare a lot better for him. Hopefully, uh, Daniel Green, being at least pretty close to fully healthy, will uh, be helpful to some degree. With that, the defense, uh, the front part of the defense is a little healthier than it was when we faced TCU the first time. The back half is not, but uh, when it comes to containing Kendra Miller, uh, Daniel Green being uh, mostly healthy, as far as we know, uh, should be. Uh, a, a big plus in that department but regardless it's just another thing to keep track of uh with this tcu offense they're they're very similar to how our how our offense has uh, ended up this year where there's just you know you have to give up something somewhere to cover a bigger threat and that just leaves something open uh like like with our offense there's plenty of threats Kyle klein has shown a propensity uh to get the ball pretty much um, down the field no matter what it takes and game to game we're seeing different guys thrive so Kendra Miller that's just another part of the DCU offense that our defense is going to have to plan for but if we can at the very least be physical with him and not let him lean forward for the extra yard or two that's going to help a lot now we just need to establish a, a tone 
really early with Kendra Miller and try and contain him because he will probably get his regardless. But we we need to, at the very least, not let him break a big one. Yeah, that that will be the that'll be a general theme is just making sure that they don't end up with the big play because Kendra Miller is really one of the better running backs in in the conference. And as we said, a lot of, to go back as to why a lot of it has to do with his vision, which is why you need to be so disciplined in the running lanes and why overly aggressive play doesn't work. It really all does come back to just the level of aggression and how we need to either channel that aggression into a different way, or we need to take a step back a little bit. But next up is the Sam linebacker. In this case, it was Khalid Duke and a little bit of Des Purnell as well. But the Sam linebacker in an offense that really likes its RPOs, the Sam linebacker always got way too close to the line, even on normal running plays. So the way that the uh, the defense of K-State, the 3-3-5 is supposed to work, is that in order to stop RPOs, both linebackers, depending on where the slot receiver is, will kind of have to play in outer space a little bit. That's just kind of how the 3-3-5 is designed to work. Khalid Duke and at sometimes Austin Moore would take a, a, a step too close. They would end up a step or two too close, whether it be in the running game and that put them in a bad position to where they're sealed out of the play. Because at the end of the day, although they're playing in outer space, they're still a linebacker. Khalid Duke still schematically is a linebacker in this scheme meaning that they shouldn't be one to inherently eat blocks the line of scrimmage. They should be aiming to sift and fill gaps instead. And in the RPO game, Khalid Duke just took that one step too close a lot of times. Des Purnell was actually pretty good at it, where the problem is, is that Des Purnell is not as great at rushing as Khalid Duke is, which who would have guessed? A former yeah, defensive figure. end is better <laughs> at rushing than a true linebacker. But the Sam backer would take up a step too close, leaving both the slant game wide open, as well as getting a, a bad hat and a bad angle in the running game. That's not something that we can afford. We can afford to do neither, and that's something that burnt us in that first game. And, yeah, I after... This next one, I have one more thing to mention, but it's it's something that we could have guessed anyway. I just forgot to write it down. Yeah, um, of course, we we did in our first uh, recap. We, we spent a lot of time talking about the various injuries that occurred. Obviously, there's a lot more uh, that happened in that game than just injuries. Injuries were an important factor, and I, I don't love talking about uh, injuries being a reason for losing because it kind of comes off as a little whiny unless it's like really excessive and to be fair this was like a cataclysmic game for k-state in terms of injuries that sustained like just could not catch a break in that department and maybe the biggest example uh was julius brents uh coming up injured um non-contact on a uh, uh fly route by quentin johnston and that's a route where it ended up being a touchdown. And if Brents doesn't uh, get hurt in the middle of that route, then TCU may eventually score on the drive, but it isn't that explosive play. Um, and then we also get to have Julius Brents for the rest of the game. 
Um, granted, Jacob Parrish came in and was very admirable in relief, but still, we'd rather have future day two draft pick Julius Brantz out there. No offense to Jacob Parrish whatsoever, because Julius Brantz is just really, really good. Yeah. Um, that was a significant issue. Uh, just the, that was a, a big turning point in the game that I don't think always gets looked at because there were a lot of there's a lot of blame flying around in that game. Most of it invalid, um, but that that was a huge moment uh, for that defense because they were already down. Uh, I think Daniel Green was gone by that point. Did yeah. we lose Daniel? Yeah, we lost Daniel Green that game. We lost Daniel Green on like I think the second drive. I think you're right. Yeah, it's been a while, so it's it's hard to recall. But you know, losing Daniel Green that's already really difficult. And so you're playing Nick Allen and rotating in Bo Palmer, and it's uh pretty difficult there. But yeah, them losing Julius, that is a huge, huge, huge loss uh, for the defense. Luckily, he has been really good uh, since then, and he's not really shown any signs of lingering injury. Uh, so it, it's going to be big uh, in this upcoming game uh, for him to stay on the field, stay healthy, and stay on Quentin Johnston. Because other than that one touchdown, we honestly did a pretty good job against him, I felt. Yeah. Uh, well, he, like, he was pretty well contained. Uh, with the exception of that one explosive play. And that that was the case the year prior as well. We contained him pretty well. So yeah. it, it it's going to be containing him. He'll probably still get several receptions, but we just need to keep him from the big play. Yeah. And that that's somewhat related to what I, w- I was going to say, is that, yes, Quentin Johnston is probably, at this point, I feel pretty confident saying that he is the best receiver in the country. He's by far the best receiver in the Big 12. And I think the only people giving him a run for his money in terms of best receiver in the country is Addison? Probably Addison, yeah. Addison, Marvin Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. But, like, which, by the way, that's still unfair that Ohio State consistently has, like, two first-round draft pick receivers and the first round draft pick receivers are still never the best ones on their roster. Jackson Smith and Jigbo was their best receiver talent wise last year. And now it's Marvin Harrison jr. It's not fair. It's cheating. It's really not. And I do not like it one bit, but that is just life with Iowa state. Yeah. Or Ohio state. Not Iowa yeah. State. Yeah. Goodness <laughs> gracious. But Quentin Johnston, yes, he is the best receiver in the country, but they also have Savion Williams. Savion Williams has come on really, really well in these last couple of weeks since he's he's faced us. Savion Williams has he's probably the one evaluation that's changed the most. In fact, he's probably the only one that's changed in any significant way because Savion Williams has developed his contested catch abilities a lot more and he's using his size a lot more. Pause. But it's just a lot of you have the two big body receivers, Quentin Johnson, Savion Williams. Tay Barber burnt us on a slant route because Drake Cheatham took a step too far inside. And that's just not, this is going to be a game that comes down to one or two plays. Because look back at, look back at the first game. Julius doesn't pull his hammy. That makes it a 31 to, what, a 31 to 28 game. Then we hit one field goal. It's tied. And it, it's going to, this isn't going to be an easy game. It's going to be a slobber knocker, knockdown, drag out fight. 
And it's going to come down to who makes one mistake and who makes one more mistake than the other. DBs are going to have to be on their game. And they are going to have to have an even better performance than the amazing performance they had in Fort Worth. And that's going to be the next thing of, well, now we can move on to the offensive side of the ball. That sounded like a weird transition, but I kind of talked myself into a corner. But (laughs) next up is on offense. And there's not as much because I don't think the offense was really the issue. And even when the offense could, quote unquote, be called the issue, it's an example of, you know, three inches here from a touchdown, Will getting hurt, you know, things like that. But most of the issues fall in the second half. The main issue is that TCU adjusted to our counter game. They started playing our counter a little bit more disciplined. They started filling and sealing the gaps a lot better. They started playing zone runs a little bit better. And the moment they started doing that, it our offense didn't fall apart. It didn't. But at the same time, it made it a lot more difficult for us to run. And that's still a big part of our identity. We want to establish the running game and we want to have the linebackers be threatened so we can operate over the middle of the field. That's kind of where Will has at least seemingly been at his best is working that middle of the field to get first downs. That's why he, said, that's why he loves people like Ben Sinnott so much. That's why he loves Philip Brooks so much because both of them operate really well in the middle of the field. Ben Sinnott works well anywhere. And honestly, I think us having Ben Sinnott, I think that might be the most underrated addition that we'll be getting. Because Ben Sinnott sounded like it looked like he snapped his arm in the first game. But yeah, I they adjusted to our counter game. That's in our running game in general. That's a big reason why the offense sort of staggered itself in the second half. Yeah. Um, also, um, kind of building on that, when Will was not in the game, uh, we were just really struggling uh, to establish the run. Uh, granted, Will only misses uh, two drives um, and like the very end of another, um, but it was a field goal anyways. Um, Jake Rubley, when Jake Rubley was in the game, uh, they really did not respect the pass game at all. So just it was a real struggle to get the run game going. Uh, we absolutely have to be able to establish uh, the run in this game to keep the pass effective because uh, we did have a really effective passing day, uh, especially in the first half. Um, and then again, we don't have Will for a majority of the second half. And even then, the one uh, full drive, or the two full drives, I should say, uh, that we had with Will um, go pretty well. Um, and we drive into TCU territory, but they both end in missed field goals. Um, and yeah, on that last, uh, play, um, on the, um, second to last drive for K state, he misses Cade Warner who breaks open by inches for a touchdown there. And then we miss a 40 yarder, uh, for a field goal. Will had a really fantastic day passing the ball. And when we have that, it's going to be difficult to stop our run game. Cause we need to make TCU be able to respect both aspects of our offense. And as long as Will Howard's in the game, that's probably going to be the case. Uh, we we need Will to stick in there and have an effective day passing the ball, which at this point we've not seen anything to the contrary. So we we really do need Will uh, to to stick in 
and allow us to get Deuce Vaughn and DJ Giddens um, effective carries. Um, because if the passing game isn't working, then it's going to be really difficult to move the ball uh, against that defense because if they key in on one aspect, it's going to be really hard to move the ball. And we've seen this offensive line struggle to get a push at times when a team sells out on the run. So got to be able to get the running game going. Absolutely. The The last little thing is how we essentially lost four possessions. One in a, and, and technically I'm cutting a possession in half. One and a half to Will getting hurt and two and a half to miss field goals. The half is the the drive that we ended, the first drive where Will got hurt, we ended up kicking a field goal. Kleiman said after the game that if Will was probably in there, he probably would have gone for it. And I think with how Will was playing, we would have gotten it. The next drive was the Jake Rubley interception. So that's one and a half for Will getting hurt. Then the other half comes from missing the field goal when we would have gone with it with Will. And then two other big missed field goals when Will wasn't in the game. And one where he was. So we this isn't a game where you can afford to lose possessions like that. If you get in the red zone, you need to, you need to score. And honestly, if you get in the red zone, you damn well better be going for it. <laughs> you... Because they're going to be doing the exact same thing. Sonny Dykes notoriously hates kicking field goals. And we're going to have to take that exact same attitude. If it's less than, you know, fourth and six, that's almost an automatic go for it in my mind. If it's less than fourth and six and you're within the red zone, easy. Go for it every time. Unless you're, and I know that there are a lot of people who are like, well, why would you do that? Like, you, you know, you can't chase points early in the game. Oh, yes, you can. No, 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 you can, and you should. <laughs> but it's those four lost possessions. Like, even if you just take the field goals, that's a nine-point swing, and that makes it a one-point ball game at that point. So it it's a game that came down to a couple of plays, and I expect this game will be the exact same way. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. And I think... On the drive that Will Howard goes out with injury on the fourth down, I do think in that uh, prior game, I think that we go for it if Will doesn't get hurt. But instead, we attempt a field goal, we miss it. And yeah, yeah, this is unfortunately a game where we are going to have to take some risky fourth downs. That has been something that we've been pretty good at over the last couple of years is fourth down conversions. Um, we, I know last year we had a, like a fantastic fourth down percentage like it was like like unusually high i know uh last year and then this year we're converting 56.52 percent of our fourth downs 13 of 23 so actually pretty solid in that department uh but it's uh yeah hopefully not going to be in that many situations anyways but this offense actually has been pretty it's been better on third down with will under center um, like, uh, I know early in the season, we were really, really bad on third down, uh, but it, it's been pretty good since Will has taken over. Like most of the games he's been, uh, the, the guy have been hovering around 50% on third downs, which is what you want to see. So, yeah, I don't have much else to add to that, I guess. Yep. So. Connor, what is you can take this entire brick here. What has TCU done since our game with them? Yeah. So since then, they um of course have stayed undefeated. Uh we know that 
obviously, since they sit near the top of the college football playoff rankings, I think they're now number three, mm-hmm, most likely. Three yeah, as they should be. And they've they've earned that spot. Um, but it's uh, been a, uh, a tough road uh, to get there for TCU. They've had some scares, uh, some games that were closer than they should have been. In fact, most of their games have been closer than they should have been with a couple of exceptions. Uh, they win by 10 against West Virginia, but that required uh, them to pull away late. That game's a little closer than should have been. They beat Texas Tech by 10 at home again. Game was closer than it should have been, although TCU, they did control uh, most of the game. They were just kind of getting in their own way, and they had a big fourth quarter. They beat Texas on the road in a tight one. They beat Baylor by the skin of their teeth uh, to the point where they're, they probably should have lost to Baylor, but Baylor was not able to put away the game. Uh, they led by eight with 10 minutes to go, and they led... Uh, up until the final seconds when they had their fire drill uh, touchdown. And they just absolutely demolished Iowa State last week, although that is a bit of a red herring scoreline. Um, they uh, they they did have two pick sixes in that game, TCU did, and they only had 377 yards of offense, which is good. Uh, and they were 3-3 on fourth down, so I'm not taking anything away from that. They still would have won this game, obviously, but probably not with a margin of as big as, as we saw. So uh, they were, they were gifted some pretty uh, light fields from Iowa state as well. They're notoriously uh, awful special teams unit at Iowa state. So yeah, they they've played mostly close games this year, kind of reminiscent of the 2011 K state wildcats uh, with the exception being that uh, TCU has been able to close out all of those games, whereas K state did lose three that year. So, yeah, this is a a very high quality TCU team, but they've been in a lot of close games. So they're they're good, they're explosive, they're going to be tough to beat, but they are definitely mortal. I, I I guess is the best way to put it. You know, this is this is not an invincible, undefeated team. Uh, K State uh, really let it slip away from them uh, the first time they played. So, um, so what can we learn uh, from uh, from these other games? Ace, did you want to take uh, these ones or a few of them? Uh, I'll take I'll take the the first one. All right. Uh, and there's a third one that I'll mention as well. Actually, no, that one fits more in the last category. But the the first thing that they've learned is, in terms of schematics, their defense doesn't deal well with flood concepts or bootlegs for that matter. That's kind of the main reason why Baylor was so successful against them was because they were willing to use moving pockets. They were willing to get Blake Shapin outside of the pocket. They were willing to use flood concepts that take advantage of TCU's tendencies, and that's their tendency to give up leverage. And, you know, Ben Sims was a pretty solid weapon, as well as pretty much everyone else that was on the receiving core for Baylor. And it was just their willingness to use different types of flood concepts and putting defenders in conflict that really helped Baylor a lot. And as far as I know, they're the main school. They're the main school that's been using a lot of those flood concepts because Iowa State, I know, doesn't have them in their playbook. Texas, I think see, I think Sark re- thinks he's too smart to do that a lot of times or at least do it as often as Baylor does. We didn't do it that much because that's not 
we, we don't run a wide zone offense. So you could argue that it doesn't work as well, but still, even when they weren't setting up the wide zone, the boots were still open for Baylor and tech is too busy running 18,000 miles an hour to really set up anything like a boot. So they don't deal well with boots and flood concepts. And I think that's something that Colin Klein will notice and will take advantage of. And the moment they try to adjust to that flood, I think that if, especially if we're running the flood to the backside, the weak side of the running concept, strong side passing formation, I think that that'll leave a lot of lanes open for the running game as well. Yeah, I, I think that you're onto something uh, with, with that. Um, and it is worth noting that uh, Baylor, even though they only had 28 points, they put 500 yards of offense up against uh, this uh, TCU team. And frankly, uh, Blake Shaven honestly cost them the game down the stretch. Baylor uh, was really effective running the ball. Uh, Squirrel Williams had 112 yards, averaged just under six yards a carry. Richard Reese averaged five and a half yards a carry. Quaylen Jones averaged six yards a carry in that game. They they had a really effective day running the ball uh, against them. And then, like you said, it helped set up uh, those flood concepts. And Blake Shapin did complete 70% of his passes for 269 yards, but he really did struggle down the stretch. And he was only sacked once. Honestly, a lot of it was just Blake Shapin kind of choking at the end uh, and not really managing the offense very well. But Baylor did have a very effective day uh, against the TCU defense. And we even saw from the first time that we played them that they're they're, they're a very beatable defense because defense has not been TCU specialty this year whatsoever, with the exception of a fantastic performance against Texas. Granted, some of that is because Bijan Robinson had 12 rushes in that game. Yeah. And when you were through four through almost 40 passes. Uh, so you could argue that Texas kind of beat themselves in that regard, but Bijan was still held at 2.4 yards per carry. So there's there's still something to be said there. But yeah, uh, speaking of the run game, uh, the outside counter run game uh, can really kill this defense if you're running it from pistol. Uh, we've seen this case a team run pistol uh, this year. Uh, I know they ran some in the KU game. Uh, I think Will Howard's confident from uh, the pistol formation. Um we have struggled at times to set up outside run uh, as an offense. It, it's been very hit and miss. I'm, feast or famine, I guess, is the best way to put it, where we're either getting a lot of yardage or getting absolutely nothing from it. And it gets blown up for a loss. I know we tried to set up outside run against TCU to a uh, very limited effect, although it wasn't necessarily outside counter. It was more sweeps. Um, I remember. I think I can remember one in particular that really got blown up in the backfield uh, on a Deuce Vaughn run. But I th- also think that his... Uh, Touchdown run might have been an outside carry as well. So, again, feast or famine. Um, yeah. Yeah, setting up outside counter could be really effective from the pistol against this team. Yeah, because the the counter that K-State was mostly running was GT counter, which is run from shotgun. And I still take exception to that being called a counter run because it goes to the direction you think it would, but I, I'm not the one who named the play. So, the... The reason why pistol counter works so much better, and spoiler alert, uh, this kind of goes into the how do we win section. If you're looking for a blueprint for how to beat TCU, don't look at the Texas game because I think that that was a fluke game for both sides because Max Duggan only threw for like 140 in that game. Only 124 in that game. He didn't throw for many yards. And I don't think that you can use Texas as a blueprint game if you're K-State by virtue of Texas has athletes at every single position 
that far outweigh ours. And that's no disrespect to our athletes because we're infinitely better coached. But that just means that we can't win the same way that Texas does. We can still win, just not in the same way. I think the blueprint that needs to be followed to win this game is the Baylor game. Because the way Baylor was setting things up on the offensive side of the ball is very similar to how K-State wants to call their offense, albeit personnel-wise. So if we take it slow and use pistol counters, which that's kind of the same thing that TCU, they have a problem with over-aggression on defense as well. In a lot of ways, and I'll touch on this again with the, at the very end of the how do we win section, we're very similar. We are very similar teams, but I think that if we run a lot of pistol counter or not even a lot of pistol counter, but just a little bit more, maybe run it, you know, three to five times in a game and you'll get some pretty solid gains from it. So that leads to the, we, we've told you what went wrong in the first game and what TC has done since. How do we win? I think that's the most important question. That's the question that everyone who's listening to this episode probably wants to know. Now, first things first, despite how much I was on the Andrew Coker train last year, Andrew Coker is their weak link on the offensive line at right tackle. So I think to get pressure, the best way to do so would be to on more obvious passing situations or they obviously have analytics, they have data analysts at K-State so they can know when they're more likely to pass. On more obvious passing situations, I would overload the line to Coker's side, put him in conflict, force him into one-on-ones, or force them to slide protection to his side so that way an easier rush can be made off of the counter side. Either way, Andrew Coker is the weak link on the offensive line, and I think if we are to get more consistent pressure than we did in the first time around, albeit with a somewhat battered defensive line, it starts with attacking Andrew Coker at right tackle. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that's true, which it is really interesting uh, how far he has fallen from last year. Um, granted, uh, Andrew Coker's best game of the season, according to PFF, was K-State, and it's not even close. Uh, all of his other games uh, besides K-State, he never did better than, I should say, all of his games against Power 5 competition. Uh, never did better than 70.2. Uh, and that was against Texas Tech. K-State, he graded 89.5. So... He, he had a really effective day, did not give up uh, any pressures uh, or sacks um, in that game. So KZ is going to have to find a way to effectively attack Andrew Coker because other than that, this year he has very underwhelming numbers uh, for the most part, um, mostly hovering in the 50s and 60s for his grades, which again, that's just one side of the coin. But even on the tape, Andrew Coker has not been effective as, as effective as he was last year. So we're going to have to find a way to exploit that weakness uh, for TCU because, I mean, there's going to be guys that just we're, we're not really going to be able to uh, to really attack as effectively uh, as we get a guy like Andrew Coker, like Steve Avila. We're probably going to struggle with in pass and uh, pass rush uh, just because he, he's really good. Brandon Coleman is really good as well. Uh, we're going to have to find a way to take advantage of Andrew Coker at right tackle. So it'll be not Felix uh, going up against him. Uh, so Brendan Mott and Nate Matlick are going to have to 
uh, find ways to be effective. Uh, maybe even Khalid Duke a little bit. We have seen him move down to defensive end a few times. So who's to say we won't see him uh, at the end for a few snaps and at Desmond Purnell and at Sam. Yeah. Yeah. The next point. And uh, it also, it, it, uh, it extends to the offensive side of the ball as well. I just forgot yeah. to write that down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so beyond Andrew Coker, um, we have to stay patient this game. This is something that we talked about a lot earlier. Uh, being patient, uh, or I should say being very aggressive, has hurt us in the past this year, um, defensively especially. Uh, like the Texas Tech game, DCU game, um, being overly aggressive has harmed us at various times throughout the season. And we need to be able to remain patient as a defensive uh, front unit and not get overly ambitious in our uh, attempts to take down Kendra Miller or Max Duncan in the backfield. I mean, I understand the uh, allure of a tackle for loss because that's a big momentum shift. It's demoralizing, but we cannot play into their hands in that regard because uh, there have been, I mean, Texas Tech, again, great example of a team that takes advantage of our uh, predisposition to being very aggressive. So we need to be more disciplined and more patient in that regard. And offensively, we need to do the same thing, uh, partly just because uh, we we don't want TCU to have the ball for as long. Uh, this is at times maybe going to feel uh, like a Snyder era possession battle uh, or maybe even a pre-Cline possession battle unless he really feels confident in how the defense is performing. But even then, you don't want to give TCU more chances than you have to. Yeah. That's... If there's one thing that I could underline, circle five times, bold font, make it 18 points bigger in terms of font on the sheet than I could anything else, it would be stay patient. It it would just be play your game. Don't let them sucker you into playing theirs. Don't let them trick you into giving them more possessions. Bleed the clock as much as you can. Run as many plays as you can. Don't worry about trying to play their game and match explosive play for explosive play because we're not built like that. We're not built like that. Like as much as we have so many explosive places, pieces, we have Malik, we have Deuce, we have Ben Sinnott. In a way, us using them in the same way that TCU uses their Quentin Johnston, their Kendra Millers, their Tave Arbors, in a way that works to our disadvantage because Malik Knowles is not Quentin Johnston. Ben Deuce Vaughn is better than Kendra Miller in the passing game, but Kendra is an amazing runner in his own right. Tay Barber is a threat out of the slot. Ben Sinnott's a threat everywhere, but at the same time, it's just take it slow. Don't feel the need to get into a rush. And also don't ever feel safe in a way. Play confident, play patiently, and play like you're in control. Don't let this get into a game where you have to play with your hair on fire. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we, we, we can say that as many times as we want, but it loses its effect at some point. Yeah. Uh, just because, yeah, staying patient is going to be huge in this game, especially defensively, but on both sides of the ball. Yep. But, yeah. Moving on to the next point. Uh, do not give Quentin Johnston any free leverage. We have to stay in his hip pocket. Uh, not to either side of him. And some of that does go back to Julius Brents uh, being a key in this game. Uh, he's not 
the only key, but he is a a big one. Uh, he, we whoever it is, I guess on Quentin Johnston, we we can't give him free leverage because he's already good enough to a lot of times find his own way and make the catch anyways. So don't make it any easier for him. Um, and again, Quentin Johnson will get his in this game, uh, but we need to do whatever we can. Uh, to make that as difficult as possible for him and try and wear him out early. Um, how effective will that be? I'm not sure. Historically, other than the long play uh, where Julius Brands got hurt uh, this past year, we have been fairly effective against Quentin Johnson. Um, other than that one long catch, he had three catches for 21 yards against us. And again, Julius Brands gets hurt on that play. And pretty much single-handedly allows touchdown. The year prior, he only had two catches for like 12 yards against us, I think. So we we have shown that we can defend Johnston, uh, but it, it is possible he he's not like an undefendable or anything like that. But we we cannot let his job become even easier than it already is for him because he just destroys most secondaries he goes against. So we have to be able to stay in his hip pocket. Yeah. And I think the best way that we can try to stay in his hip pocket is I know that K-State really likes their zone coverages. I know that they're mostly a zone coverage team. I don't care. <laughs> play, literally play Julius in the Meg role, which is man everywhere he goes. It's a Saban term for his match coverages. I, I don't care. I don't care if they have him. I don't care if they have Quentin Johnston lined up as the one receiver. I don't care if he's lined up as the three receiver. I don't care if he's playing slot. Don't care. I want Julius Brents on him and in press as much as possible. Because I think that Quentin Johnston, he's an amazingly physical receiver. And I know that he can break press. But how quickly can he do it? And when he does break press... Can he shake you? Because once he gets up to full speed, if he gets in your face and you're playing off coverage, you've lost. I'm sorry. You've lost the rep. The moment he gets in your face on his own terms, you're dead. You're screwed. (laughs) It doesn't matter how good you are. But if you don't let him get up to his top speed, if you don't let him get into your face and you're willing to, this is the one area that I think aggression is going to benefit us most. And we have already preached, you know, stay patient, stay patient. This is the one exception. Get in get in Quentin Johnston's face. Bully him. Try to bully him. And if he tries to bully you back, you try to beg for the PI call for between both of you. Call it a 50-50. I don't care. <laughs> get in Quentin Johnston's face. Don't give him anything for free. And I think that that's something that we've already started doing. I just hope we continue to do so. Because that's when, that's when Quentin Johnston's at his most dangerous is when you're playing off coverage because you're giving him so much room to work with. Yeah, exactly right. Um, moving on to the next point is we need to let Mr. DJ Giddens cook uh, because powerful and patient running really hurt TCU in the Baylor game. This is something that we touched on a little bit earlier, but Baylor had a very effective uh, run game day uh, against uh, TCU when they played. So we need to let DJ get some more carries than he usually does. Granted, he did have, he's had, he's sprung together a, a few really successful games. So we need to let him continue. 
Um, obviously, Deuce Vaughn is still the guy, but DJ could be really effective against this defense if uh, he continues to realize his potential and his power because that still is kind of up in the air on if he will from game to game uh, because sometimes he uh, he has a fantastic game. Other times it looks like he forgets uh, that he's 6'1", 220 and better than most of the people on the field. So <laughs> DJ, we, we need to find ways to get him the ball in a situation where he can hit a hole and just be violent because uh, he can be really effective in that regard. Uh, Baylor found a lot of success uh, in, in that sense against TCU, uh, which, which is being violent in their their RVO offense. It's Baylor. so corny, but it works. It, it works. It works really effectively for the most part. So yeah. you know, need to let DJ uh, get some carries in, in, in that context. Yeah. And that's not saying that Deuce shouldn't be on the field or, you know, Deuce should take a lesser role. It's just DJ should take a greater role. And if Deuce loses a carrier or two to that, I feel like it would be beneficial. I feel like Deuce, the best way to use him in this game would be as a more dangerous receiving threat against a collection of linebackers that are lacking in athleticism, we'll say. <laughs> they are blue-collar, lunch-pail linebackers. Mm-hmm. But... I, my dream formation for this, and this kind of, it's not on the list, but my dream formation is Ben Sinnott playing Y in like a slot role, split back with Deuce and DJ, then Malik and either Philip Brooks or Cade Warner as the outside receivers. I think that that puts TCU in the worst possible matchup for them. Put a safety on Ben Sinnott, see what happens. Put a linebacker on Deuce, see what happens. Leave a light box for DJ, see what happens. It, I think that that is the formation group. I don't think we see it all game. I don't think we base out of it. But I think in gotta have it downs, I think that that's something that we can take advantage of. Whether or not we do remains to be seen. But yeah, I, I think DJ needs to get a couple more carries in this game. I really do think that this needs to be more of a 1A, 1B scenario where you're going to use Deuce more on outside, more finesse runs, and for the gritty, dirty, disgusting, like, 1930s yards to let DJ cook a little bit. Yep. Exactly right. You can take so the next one as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I keep waiting for you to, like, interject and take one. I give you, like, a few seconds, and I'm like, all right, I guess I'll continue. No, at this point, I, I, I just like duck in at the very end i think it's working at this point very well we will continue we need to take advantage of the outside run game uh whether by sweeps or stretches uh to the strong side uh we we need to find ways to get the ball in space uh in the run game uh when we're not uh trying to knock people's teeth out with dj giddens up the middle so getting deuce vaughn on a sweep again we've been a little bit feast or famine with sweeps uh, and, and stretches this year. Uh, I mean, Malik Knowles just had a fantastic day on jet sweeps against KU. Uh, and Deuce, it feels like it's either like a four-yard loss or a touchdown. It just depends on if the <laughs> line gets out there or not. Uh, and when they do, then it's trouble. Um, so we need to continue to take advantage of that, get the ball out there, use some pistol just to uh, maybe help with um, masking the direction it may go. 
which we have run some pistol this year. Uh, we Colin Klein does like pistol, so uh, I like pistol too. But we'll uh, uh, have to continue to do that. We talked about that a lot already, uh, so I, I won't linger on it for too long. But what do you have to add on that, Ace? Yeah, the only thing I really have to add is getting the ball. It's like what you said. Use it in a lot of different ways. Don't just run the same outside running concept the same time over and over again. Work in a little bit of outside zone from 12 personnel. You know, maybe maybe 21 personnel. Have Christian Moore come in, Ben Sinnott on one side of the field, have Christian Moore serve as a kickout blocker. I think that's something that could work pretty well on, you know, stretch or duo plays. Just be creative with the running game. And I think that that's something Klein has gotten much better with, especially after this game. I think he kind of learned a lesson in this game. But it all really does come back to if you need a hammer, use DJ. If you need a scalpel, use Deuce. If you need a Swiss Army knife, use Malik. Apt analogy. Next, and this is maybe the... uh, the biggest thing is do not let up for a single second uh, against uh, this this uh, this TCU team because we got up to a, a quick lead against them. When Will Howard came in, we were feeling good and it, it seemed like everything was going to go really well. I mean, at, at one point we were we were up uh, 20 to 10 right before half and then they uh score right before half we take our our feet off the gas and then they come back and our experience in that game should tell us to absolutely never take our foot off the gas against this team they could come back from most deficits they're built to be a good comeback team in fact they they've amounted several comebacks this year so we need above all else uh maybe other than staying patient as a, a general takeaway is to just really, really put them away and, and and let them feel it. If it's a blowout, it's a blowout. But if, if we, we need to never, ever, ever get content with any margin of a lead until they're out of timeouts and we're taking knees. That, that is when we should let up in this game within reason, I suppose. But we we do need to be careful uh, to, to not get content uh, and, and, and to keep the energy up, to keep the pressure up. Um, and, and just if, if you take a lead, don't let them back in because this is a TCU team that once they get momentum, it's really hard to stop them. Yeah. They, they are the team that does not die. Like if, if you think you have them down, double tap them, you need to double tap them and maybe do it one more time. Because they are more than capable of coming back from the dead, if need be. I think if they've trailed in the majority of their games this year, and they've won every single one of them. This is not a team that has any quit in them. This is not a team that's going to look at a particular deficit and say, we can't overcome that. Because of how explosive their offense is. And they're also not a team that is going to give up because they got down. The defense gives up a big play on a drive. They're not going to sulk about it. They're going to get over it, and they're going to move on to the next drive to stop you then. And then if they stop you then, they'll stop you the next time. And then the next time. You don't let them get momentum. 
Because if they end up getting the momentum, they don't give it back. They never give it back. So you need to get on their throat immediately and never ever take your throat off until you never take the foot off their throat until they stop twitching. And maybe even then you keep it on there for 10 minutes more. Because if you give them a slight breath, they're immediately going to come up and just like roundhouse kick your teeth out. Yeah, it's it's going to be a street fight. It really is. This is going to be a game that it's going to come just like the first one. It's going to come down to one or two plays. I would love it if I was wrong and that worked out in K-State's favor. I'd love it if we were angry enough about the first time that we just blew them out. That'd be awesome. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> and that leads to the, the final takeaway that I didn't write down because writing. this These two teams are more similar than anyone wants to admit. <laughs> and I know that sounds very strange. But they run similar defensive schemes. They are similarly aggressive on both sides of the ball. TCU is more explosive. K-State is a bit more consistent with their offense. We don't rely as much on the big play, but they're able to get it, and their offense is pretty effective because of it. If you, Even if you look at the advanced analytics, we're similar in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, this is a mirror matchup between K-State and TCU. And it's whenever you're dealing with teams that are similar to one another in skill level, it, it, it can be a bit sweaty and it's very similar to both sides where both sides are never going to give up K state for in the times that they lost. The one thing that you can never say they did is give up. They faltered against TCU and they came up short against Texas. And I don't want to talk about the Tulane game, <laughs> but it's not a team that's going to give up. And it's a team that can win rock fights if need be. Look at the Iowa State game. But these two teams are more similar than anyone wants to admit. It's just one team has gotten luckier. And I know that, like, oh, that sounds really diminutive. Like, what well, you're saying that TCU is undefeated because they're lucky? That's part of it, yeah. <laughs> I, I, there's nothing wrong with being lucky. A lot of times it's better to be lucky than good. But I I feel like I've exhausted this point. Do you do you agree or like disagree with it? Am I just crazy? Am I crazy to say that these are similar teams? Not at all, I'd say, especially in the uh, um, Will Howard version of this K-State team. Uh, I think that offensively they are very similar. Uh, I mean, which a lot of that is just because they are the two best offenses in the Big 12. Um, especially with Will Howard under center. I mean, these two teams offensively are are close to even. Uh, not quite, I'd say, but I, I do think that TCU has an advantage there, uh, at least in terms of maybe star power and talent. But K-State, in terms of efficiency and uh, the numbers, um, they're, they're actually very close together. And then defensively, I, I you definitely give the edge there to K-State's defense, I'd, I'd say. Uh, but even then, K-State's defense has shown um, that it is very vulnerable at times uh, and has struggled more against the run this year than we than we're used to. So, yeah. And then also um, back on the uh, <laughs> don't let up. Uh, I truly fear that this TCU team could find a way to win a game after the clock strikes zero. Like, like I think K State could be up on the podium accepting the trophy, and they I would find a way to come back from twenty down. So, 
I mean, there, there's nothing that the, there's no deficit that is too big for the CCU team to come back from. So I'm not going to feel comfortable until hours after the game when we're able to confirm with like independent international authorities that the game did in fact end in case day one. Got to consult the UN for this game. Yeah, we're, we're going to need like a peacekeeping force from the UN <laughs> to like come and like monitor the game until I, I feel good about it. But no, yeah, the it, it's going to be huge. And it really is like they're, they're, these two teams are quite similar in more ways than their color so yeah i just talked a lot you can cover the first two of the stories to watch yep so this is something that we did talk about quite a bit already but it's worth reiterating and it's julius versus johnston part two uh that is going to be part three technically going back last year i suppose so yeah part three um it's going to be a huge matchup uh between those two um julius wins the first one johnston i guess he does come away uh with the um with he, the dub he wins the second, the second. One. yeah he definitely wins the second and so this one is for the best of three between those two uh so can julius contain quentin johnston effectively in this game uh, or does quentin johnston have another big game and a clutch moment for this dcu team and uh, that's going to be the one of the biggest questions to follow in this game. Yeah. I, to, to give an answer, I think, I think Julius is one of the few corners physical enough to contain Quentin Johnston. And I think that's why he did so well the first time they faced one another. Johnston got him a little bit the second time with the pulled hammy. I'm still willing to give him that. I'm not going to take away a victory from a, a wide receiver because the DB got hurt. That's just diminutive. But I, I think Julius, obviously Quentin Johnson's always going to get his, but I think Julius is going to be a handful for Quentin Johnston. Probably the, probably the toughest corner that Johnston has seen all year and will see unless they make it into the college football playoff. But if they do, well, we, some, we probably lost this game if they did. So. <laughs> Yep. Next, can we contain Kendra Miller? Uh, Kendra Miller has, of course, been having a really, really great year. Uh, first team All Big 12 caliber season. He's got 16 touchdowns. Uh, he has really been effective throughout the entire year. He's had, um, it looks like, seven games of 100 yards or more. Uh, he had a fantastic day against K State the first time. Uh, and he's had a touchdown, at least one touchdown in every single game that he's played this year. And he has never, he's the least amount of yards he's averaged in the game is 4.1. That was against Baylor. So he has cooled off a little bit, relatively speaking, in the last uh, two games, just because he hasn't broken 100 yards in either of those games. But still, uh, Kendra Miller is still a a really, really, really good running back and K-State is going to have to contain him or find a way to at least slow him down enough. I don't know if it's possible to keep him out of the end zone at this point based on the numbers we have available, but I don't know. What do you think, Ace? It depends on how we adjust. <laughs> it Because the majority of TCU's running game is based off of GT counter and then inside zone. And... 
those are countered in pretty different ways. <laughs> so unless we plan on switching to a bare front, don't. <laughs> we it, it'll be hard. It'll be very difficult. I Hendry Miller will almost certainly have a touchdown this game. I I've resigned myself to that fact. But at the same time, if we can keep him just to the one touchdown and then keep him below 120, I'll be feeling really good. Yeah. Yeah. Keep him to the one touchdown. Keep him maybe under 100 yards. You have to feel good about that if you're the uh, if you're the K-State defense. But even then, it's less likely that that'll happen than the opposite based off of the, the rest of the season. So because he has more often eclipsed 100 than not. And he, he's just been an all-around effective and dangerous running back this year. So, and above all, very consistent. Uh, say for a handful of outlier games, he has consistently been above 100 yards for most of the season. So, finding a way to at least slow him down would be huge. Yeah. Next up is, this will be a second-half game. This isn't a game that you can leave after halftime, no matter what the score, because... Recently, it's this is going to be a game of K-State's defensive adjustments and TCU's offensive adjustments. K-State's defense, especially in the second half recently, has been amazing. In fact, you could probably use the TCU game as a marker <laughs> for when our second half defense became elite. But TCU's second half offense has also been consistently pretty elite, and it's been doing it all year. So this will be a game that... It's not decided in the first half. It's decided on who adjusts better. In fact, I think you could make an argument that the person who is leading at halftime loses the game. I'm not going to 100% commit to that, but if you told me that happened, I would be 100% unsurprised by it. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a good way to put it. The TCU game kind of is the uh, the line in the sand for this K-State team on when they did become more effective uh, in the second half. The Oklahoma State game was right after, obviously. It's a shutout. Uh, The Texas game, they were considerably better defensively in the second half. Baylor, they were great the whole game, but the second half, they still locked down. Uh, West Virginia definitely improved in the second half, and same for the KU game. So... And then again, TCU is going to have great offensive adjustments regardless. They've been a second-half team all year as an offense. So it's going to yeah, come down to those adjustments at the half and maybe even during the game, who can make them first? Because we started to see the effect of those adjustments for K-State against KU uh, in the late second quarter. So we, it, it is going to come down to maybe who can um, adjust faster. Uh, who, who can make the the proper adjustment the quickest and find a way to stifle uh, the the opposing team? Yeah, yeah. This it's Clandy versus Riley at this point. Garrett Riley, mm-hmm. not Lincoln. Though Clandy has a good record against Lincoln as well. <laughs> That's true. But you have the the final story to watch. Yeah, the huge one is again. This is a story in almost every game, but. Uh, who wins the line of scrimmage in this game? I'll, I'll let you start with that. Is the defensive line of both sides? <laughs> I I know TCU's offensive line has gotten more consistent 
That being said, I think so is our defensive line. And although we're not getting consistent sacks, we are getting consistent pressure. And I feel like pressure will be the key to making Max Duggan make mistakes, which he's been extraordinarily good at not doing this year, which granted, whenever you're throwing up to Quentin Johnston, that's almost never a mistake per se. But the only time it's a mistake throwing to Quentin Johnston, if it's like quadruple coverage, and even then he may still come down with it. Yeah, the chances are still better than zero in, in that uh, regard, which they never should with any human wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, we've established that Quentin Johnson is not human. He is a monster. <laughs> yeah. But really, I know that kind of sounds like a non-committal answer, but I really do think that the defensive lines of both sides will probably be the dominant ones. Yeah, I, I think there's an argument to be made there. Um, if the trend continues with K-State's offensive line, uh, they may have a better second half, uh, similar to their defense. Um, but yeah, our our defensive line, not a ton of sacks in recent weeks. Uh, we got to Garrett Green three times. That was all Brendan Mott. Uh, but only one against KU. I don't think we sacked Quinn Ewers. Um, and we hit him. Yeah, we I did. Think, I think we sacked him once and we hit him a few times. Maybe so. Uh, it's been a bit, but we uh haven't been getting to the quarterback as effectively in terms of like finishing the the pressure off but we still do get a decent amount of pressure and we've landed some hits uh, and some hurries but uh, it's going to be a big week uh, for this defensive front granted it's a big week for every group on the team because they barely everybody's going to have to be playing their a game uh, this week or it, it could be a struggle yeah all right so now we can get into MVP picks. We'll, we'll change it up this time. We'll do offensive and defensive as individuals. So, Connor, you can go ahead and give your offensive and defensive MVPs. Yeah. So for this game, offensively, I'm rolling with Will Howard. Uh, he had his big game against TCU uh, the, uh, the first time. Uh, that was his first uh, significant action this uh, season, his first action at all this season. So Will Howard, uh, he's probably going to want this one back. This is one of the last stops on the Will Howard Revenge Tour, I believe. Uh, I think it'd be this in Texas at this point. And if he wins this one, maybe that absolves the the other losses and maybe turns him into a new man as his <laughs> John Wick revenge rampage is complete. <laughs> but it, it's it's a big week for Will Howard in this offense. And there's a lot of guys that you could pick on the offense. You could even pick the offensive line if you wanted, but I ended up deciding to roll with the guy who's going to be running the show on the field, uh, just because it is going to be a massive, massive week for Will Howard. And uh, to finally uh, bury the narrative for good, even though he pretty much already has, but leading this team to a big 12 title, he'd write his name in the K-State history books for life. Um, So Will Howard's my offensive MVP. And defensively, again, there's a lot of guys that you could go with here, but I went with Eli Huggins, uh, mainly because I think that controlling the uh, line of scrimmage defensively is going to start with him. And when he was locked in and playing a good game, things were different against TCU. Uh, and we, we need him to be able to plug the middle and uh, do a good job against the interior offensive line of TCU uh, just to um, try and stifle that running game a little bit more and open up holes for the linebackers to sift through. 
and try and play run defense. So there's going to be a, there's a plenty of guys that you could go with defensively. There's really not a wrong answer, honestly. Um, but I'm rolling with Eli Huggins. Yeah. My offensive MVP is going to be Will Howard, Kill Bill, Bill the Butcher, Will the Thrill, Big Willie Howitzer, whatever 87 nicknames you want to come up with them. I'm always going to call him Big Willie Howitzer. Uh, there's another nickname, but that comes in chant form. <laughs> but I, I think that this is going to be another big week for Will because this is going to have to be a game where I think that we're going to have to lean on the pass to establish the run. And I know traditional wisdom this says the inverse, but I really think that if this offense is to get going, I do think it is on the back of Will Howard. So I think Will is going to be the offensive MVP. Then defensively, I have Daniel Green because I have a feeling that he's a little bit salty that he missed the TCU game. I feel like although Nick Allen did play admirably in in relief for him, uh, no disrespect to Nick Allen, he's not Daniel Green. (laughs) And I feel like Daniel Green remembers that he missed this game. So I think Daniel Green has himself a really solid day. And I think he's the best possible matchup for tackling Kendra Miller. So I'd, I'd look for Daniel Green to be a little bit of a thumper this game. And I think he's going to be the X factor on defense. But now the moment everyone has been waiting for at his score projections. Connor, do you have I, the K-State Wildcats as Big 12 champions? I do. Uh, a few reasons. The main one being that it's very difficult to beat a team two times, which we will hear a lot of this week. Regardless, still have to go out and play the game. This is going to be a very challenging game. I think it's going to be close the whole way. I think it's going to be first to 40 wins this game. So I have K-State 42, TCU 38. One uh, defensive stand will be the difference for this one for the K-State defense. Oh, God. Imagine if that's the last defensive drive. I may have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying turning a touchdown into a field goal. So they wouldn't oh, be okay. taking a field goal in that situation. So like, like it'll be like a random second quarter field goal that ends up really mattering. Okay. I thought you meant like we stopped them on the last drive. And I'm like, Connor, my heart could not take that. I would not do that to you. So <laughs> I wouldn't do that to myself. So do not worry about that. Party at cats, baby. I'd rather not, but <laughs> we may not have a choice. Yeah. You're, you're, you're probably right. Yeah, I also have K-State as your Big 12 champions for the 2022 football season. I have it by a score of 38 to 31. I think that, that is a late score. I think that we enter I think we enter the fourth quarter tied 31 to 31 and then I K-State drives down the field midway through the fourth quarter. Scores a touchdown, and unfortunately, I do have it coming down to a last-second defensive stop for K-State because I I know this team, and I know that they will not pass up an opportunity to either make me feel intense pain or to make me almost have a heart attack. <laughs> but obviously, this is a K-State pod, so you you could argue a little bit of bias, but I truly do believe that and it's not because of the old adage of it's hard to beat a team twice. Like, because if you play the exact same game and exact same team twice, it's okay. But it, it's a coin flip. 
This game really is a coin flip. You look at FPI, you look at what Stats of War does, which although he's a TCU fan, Parker's, he does really great stuff with, with analytics. Uh, you look at, oh, what's the other one? Um, S&P? Uh, no, not S&P. Um, SP Plus, I think. SP Plus. Yeah, S&P is this uh, mutual fund or something. It's a, yeah, it's a securities. <laughs> but pretty much every everywhere you look has this game at like 46-54 in favor of TCU. But that's also accounting for the fact that, you know, that's also taking the first half of K-State's offense as opposed to our second half. It It's going to be a nail-biter. Again, I'd love it if it weren't. I'd love it if we just blew out TCU. I'd love it if we pulled the 2003. It'd be awesome. But I, I'm going to be nervous. I'm going to be sweating this game a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to be very, very nervous as well. This is the biggest K-State football game in a long time. And we've we've said that a few times this year, I think. Uh, so the, that goes to show how big of a, a season this has been. I mean, uh, on top of other things, I mean, this is already the most successful season since uh, 2012, uh, just by even getting to a Big 12 title, having a shot for it. Um, this is the first nine-win season since uh, 2016. And has a shot to be the first double-digit win season since 2012. Has a shot to be the first Big 12 champion season since 2012. First Big 12 title game uh, win since 2003. And there's a lot riding on this game for for K-State. Winning a Big 12 title does a lot more than put a ring on your finger and a number um, on the press box. It, It opens up recruiting doors. It brings more national media attention. It does a lot for a program to to do that, especially to do it over an undefeated TCU team that's headed to the playoff. That does get you noticed. So it, it it's huge because I mean, I mean at the end of the day, you know, just keep winning games. And the this is a huge game for Chris Kleiman and the K State Wildcats and for everybody on this team. You know, a lot of people are going to be trying to make legacies in this game. So. It it's a big one. I, I keep coming back to that. I, I don't I don't have much else to say other than that. Uh just I keep coming back to just how how big of a game this is because we've not been in this position for a while. So you have any final thoughts? Um no, I don't. Yeah, I I pretty much had my final thoughts. So that wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and Cats. If you want to email us, we are Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at AC Edwards 00. I am at Connor Baltazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store where you can find such designs as the staff approved Doom Tang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats, and let's go get a Big 12 championship, huh?